Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. Hello. As always, I'm Jonah. As always? As always. My name is Jonah. Every day I wake up and I'm like, yep, I'm Jonah. (laughs) Not good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, Steven? Until then and always, I am Steven. And Brad. Yeah. The whole crew's here, (laughs) except for Mike, who's off actually working. Uh, Oddly enough, working at Fuse, which is really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's doing. He'll tell you he was he was supposed to be doing a rock show about rock music, and they switched it to R and B. Oh, and and as he said, the one genre I know nothing about. Which I think, from a production standpoint, might actually be pretty good because you're not so attached to it, so you can focus on the television aspects. But I digress. Today, I'm going <laughs> off track. We are joined by a guest I've been trying to book forever on the podcast, um, but he's in one of the biggest bands in the universe, so not an easy guy to nail down, but a super accommodating guy, and his name is Jack Antonoff, who you may know from Fun. His new project is called Bleachers, and when I met him, he was playing in a band called Steel Train. So Jack has been playing in bands for his whole life, loves punk rock, and is now a huge pop songwriter as well and an awesome dude who came by and I just hit him up a bunch of times and he said, I'm in town. I said, let's talk about no effects and rancid. We talked about that. And then we talked about a bunch of everything other stuff. else. Yeah. It got, <laughs> it got pretty deep. It got pretty dark. It's also really funny. Do you so, call him, could, uh, do you call him steel train Jack? I do not. I do not call him steel oh, train Jack. Nice. <laughs> Should have. He got that, that is very smart. He, he could not have been cooler. He's one of those people that I don't think realizes how cool he is. That's yeah, a good trait know. to have if you're cool. Yeah, he's like, he's just, I don't know. There's something about him. He's got that energy where you can see why. Oh, I can see why a lot of other people gravitate to well, you. It's I want to hang out with you. It's interesting because I feel like some people get a little bit of success and turn into dicks. And then some people get a lot of success and just stay cool. And I think that's very telling about like what kind of a person you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and also if, if you've, you know, earned it, like we've seen a lot of bands go from nothing to huge to nothing. And then it's hard to, I don't know, you like some people feel like they deserve it and haven't earned it. And he's the complete opposite of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that dude has definitely paid his dues. Um, yeah, I've been seeing him play for years and yeah, always been a nice guy. And yeah, it's so cool that he came by. He also did uh, the first episode of Sound Advice. Um, with fun with Nate and Andrew. And that was awesome that, you know, they really, I talk about it on here, but those guys really took a chance. It wasn't even a thing. I didn't have anything to show them. It was just like a couple paragraphs that me and Vanessa wrote and they like showed up, did it before like a sold out show they were playing in New York. And, uh, those guys are just always, always down to do cool, funny, fun stuff. And so ridiculously funny in that. Yeah. Th- thank you. Uh, I, I would like to, to just, Take a moment here and, and point the camera towards Mr. Jonah Bear, who recently did a TED Talk in his hometown of Cleveland, Ooh, Ohio. That's right. Thank you. Yes. Um, I did a TED Talk recently. It, it Professor be, Jonah, let's call him. We'll, it was on. called Living Without a Roadmap. It will be online maybe when you're listening to this, if not very soon. And uh, yeah, it was a crazy experience. I mean, it had to be completely memorized. It was a lot of writing. Stephen actually helped me with it more than anyone. Um, so thank you to Stephen. And... Uh, really helped me focus it and then just memorized it and got up there and spit it out and then was so happy when it was over and I didn't have to think about it anymore. I didn't know it had to be memorized. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe some people don't. I mean, some people bring up notes, but they they like it to be memorized. So, um, so I memorized it, which was a really something I had not done maybe since like college or middle school. How, I don't how know. long is it? Uh, it was thirteen or fourteen minutes. But I had uh, I had slides, so those are good like visual cues. So I was like, oh, and you could see the slide ahead of it. So I was like, okay, I'm talking about this. This is coming up. What's like the first sentence here? So, but yeah, it I was a helped you. It was a cool experience. More. There, there's some there's some really fun tricks for memorizing long passages. Yeah. The the uh, I I did a my thesis was on uh, monologues and performance art in college. It's eight pages long, and but the this guy I talked to he said the trick to memorizing something really really long is you do it backwards. Really? So if, you know, it's if it's uh, where were you a couple months that, ago, man? I didn't know you had to memorize it. <laughs> I would, I'm telling you, I would have helped you completely. Like if you, you take to be out. or not to be, that is the question. You go question. Then you go question is. Question is that. And then once you get everything in your head memorized backwards, you can do it forwards without thinking about it. It's the most fucked up thing and it works. And it's like it's how people memorize like long speeches and things like that. Another way to do it is you take what you're going to write to be or not to be, and you write it on a piece of paper, but you just write the initials. So T-B-O-N-T-B. And then you look at that and your brain will go to be or not to be. Steven, look down because you just dropped some knowledge. (laughs) Word. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I got props from one of your favorite comic artists who also spoke, Mr. Bendis. Uh, Oh yeah, writer and artist Brian Michael Bendis. Brian yes. Michael Bendis, and it was it was cool. All the speakers are so great. A lot of them were a little bit more serious than mine. You know, there's a guy who lost his wife to breast cancer, documented it. A woman whose father was a political prisoner. All, all these talks were just super interesting and really cool. And it was uh, my, our former guest and my friend JD Sampson also did it. Her talk was amazing. So it was it was really cool to be a part of it. So I want to thank Ted Cleveland for inviting me. If you want to watch it online watch it or watch one of the other talks which are by people way smarter than me so, i can't wait to see it we got to put the links up congratulations man that's so super yeah cool. thank awesome. you thanks guys um so yeah so that's me but um getting back to our guest jack antonoff i'm sure that's why you're listening to this so without any further ado let's talk with fun bleachers and steel train zone mr jack antonoff Let's kick it off, right? Dude, man, thank you for... Jonah has been talking about getting you in here forever, and it, my first and foremost was, oh, that's so cool, he wants to come on. Well, I wanted to just... I was like, I feel like not a lot of people know... I think maybe some of Fueled by Ram, maybe Eric or Adam told me that you guys love The Decline. More than anything. And I was like, I bet you Jack never gets to really talk about this. Never. <laughs> it's, it's probably the best uh, body of work that is not... Uh, recognized on a broad level like I can't think of anything better because even like you know like uh, like minor threat albums and stuff still kind of get recognized on like a, a broad level so it's even like weird underground things not that minor threat is weird underground like, like I said because it's become so mainstream right. but like for the decline it just stays in this weird place like it's just not known, no effects any artist just what for for anyone it's amazing it, it's one of those that 
Have you, have you seen him play it before? I've never seen him play it. You've, I, you've seen it. I've seen it. I've, I've seen Jonah's Instagram. Yeah, of him I saw them play it a couple months ago for the first time in Silver Spring. This was a. F- I saw them a few years ago. We were we were at Fuse, and I don't know why you weren't there. It was BB King's. Trish and I went. Dude, I think that was before I lived here. I think that was a long time ago. Really? Yeah, because Miles was at that. Yeah. Okay. No effects played the decline at BB King's. Yeah, but yes. I think it was like eight years <laughs> That's ago. Bizarre. It was very bizarre. I think it was and like they, eight years ago. And they opened with it. The whole thing. The whole thing. It was phenomenal. And you just saw the crowd just go, oh, shit. And everybody just lost their minds. And then the funny thing about it was this was at, uh, and Mike will admit this, this was the, at the height of his, you know, um, dealing with losing both his parents. Yeah. So the set then declined afterwards. I remember leaving going, well, I guess, you know, I've seen, I've seen this band enough. I'll give them a bad show. <laughs> but I got to see the decline. How did effects have a bad show, though? Because um, even like, I feel like it's, it's in their DNA to suck. They and, and have it work yeah they don't practice either like they no. never practice like i'm like oh you guys have a big tour coming up he's like yeah did you see that tour they did it was a couple years ago they came with two years ago with anti-flag a couple years ago yes and then with d4 a couple yeah, years yeah it was, i know i missed d4 God damn it but it was anti-flag and they made it a point of learning all their really hard songs and i remember melvin screwed up at one point and Mike just kept going, and he just kept, just try it again in front of the whole crowd. Keep going, <laughs> keep trying. It was great. And didn't, I felt like on YouTube a long time ago, I saw maybe Steel Train, like you guys covering a Rancid song or something. Yeah. I think we covered like Roots Radicals. Yeah. Which is a great song. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I tried, we tried to cover Sold Out once. Really? Which is really, speaking of the hard songs, I'm yes. sure they played that, that night, which was like really hard to play. Um, no effects is bizarre because it's like they're the best band and the worst band. Oh my god! <laughs> so it, it, and I, I guess they get licensed to do that. Yeah, like they're, when they're on, there's no one touches them. It's I remember talking to Smelly once, and I, I was like, "You are one of my favorite drummers." And he went, "What?" And I went, "No, you're so good. Like the beats you come up with are just, you know, it's like it's almost like fast Pixies reverse beats. They're just slightly off. Like if you're a drummer, like try to play Bob." Like yeah. it's hard to do. Like he's just so slick the way he does it. I remember they played one of the many warp tours. I know I've told this story before here that they were asking fans to pick their set at 30 minutes. And I said play the decline twice when they asked me. And then they didn't ask me again. Dude, I could see them doing that though. Can you imagine? They play pieces of it. Like I saw them play a piece of it once. <laughs> like they did like um they did like from it was like like the last four minutes. That's I feel like funny. they like ended the song and then Fat Mac was like, he's got his and I've got mine. Meet the decline. They just did the outro. <laughs> that was the closest I ever got. Do you guys ever think of uh, messing with your audience in any of your projects? Like, oh, I know you guys really like this song. Like, I want to just play a section of it and then just make you mad. You know what? A long time ago, like a decade ago, remember the band Finch? Mm-hmm. Yes. They had a song called uh, Letters to You, which was like their big song. And it opened with this guitar riff. And this was like literally like a decade. This was so long ago that I had I had taken mushrooms in a van and driven driven up to San Francisco to go, to go see them play. So that if you, knowing me, you could only imagine this was like <laughs> lifetimes ago. Um, <laughs> and they were like talking about the set backstage, and I was like, "You guys should open with that guitar riff, but then not play the song." And they were like, "Yeah, cool idea." And they were in like a phase in their career where they really hated everything going on, so yeah. they did it. And there was like thousands of people started booing and getting really upset <laughs> and that was like a defining moment for me i wasn't even on stage but i was just like don't fuck with your audience <laughs> unless you have you have a, a culture of fucking with your audience that yeah, already is in existence yeah if you're the kinks there's, yeah there's that famous live record from the 70s where every song they opened with the chords of lola but then they wouldn't play it <laughs> every the entire set every song <laughs> 
but you know they can do whatever the hell they want <laughs> yes that is true um and we should have sound advice with no effects that's going to be coming out soon and can't wait you did our first sound advice so cool so funny so awesome of you guys to do <laughs> it was uh, so awesome i was like and now sound advice is like this huge thing yeah it's doing pretty good but i mean i was like what do you guys like doing that kind of stuff because i was honestly like a little bit surprised you guys agreed because i was like they're such a big band and this is such an unproven thing so i thought it was so awesome that you guys took a chance on it i love doing stuff like that i think it's like i think most people in bands wish they were like comedians athletes or actors most comedians wish they're musicians or you know most writers wish this or other people wish they were writers i just feel like it's all like you know you get very envious of other kinds of art around you and especially like when you do the same thing all the time like you know, if you do a thousand interviews where you have to answer the same questions, then it's so exciting to do something in that realm, but then outside of it. So it was like the most brilliant thing. And it was fun because it was like, it feels like poking fun also at like, kind of like the, the stuff that we have to talk about. Right. And I mean, it's, it's also, you know, can't go wrong with you and Vanessa. It was like awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was, well, do you feel like you don't get nervous around musicians, but around like comedians and stuff, you feel like you want to prove you're funny and then... Oh my God, I get so nervous around comedians. Me too. Comedians are really stressful because they're just like, they're they're built to have like that wall where they can just sort of be on, fire stuff out, or at least it seems like it. And like, I desperately want approval from them more than anyone else. Like if I was in a room with like, you know, so-and-so from the Eagles, I wouldn't give a shit. Right. Well, I wouldn't give a shit anyway. I'm trying to think of someone I would give a shit. <laughs> like, if I was, like, you know, if I was in the room with someone... That was, that was a far reach. Yeah. yeah. Go the room, go. If I was in the room with Seals or Croft or... Yeah. Like, <laughs> think if I was in the room with the Eagles, I would have so much fun in that room. You think you would? Oh, yeah, because you don't know, because they're dicks. They're and the worst. Did, really? did you see the documentary? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm always fascinated with, with rock yes. documentaries that... Because you have to understand something. So it's like no big band obviously has ever like signed a contract where it's like you film us you edit it and do whatever you want and we'll just be cool that like there's obviously like like some kind of monster is a perfect example like they get to see this shit and they get to decide so it's like fascinating to me to imagine imagine the eagles or metallica sitting in a screening room probably going through thousands of hours of different edits and then arriving at this cut and being like yep this is the one that 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 Lars, it's really to important see. to let everyone know you have a Basquiat. We I th- need everyone to know. It's that, crazy. I thought it was cool that Metallica put that out there, though. With that said, it's the coolest thing ever. But What's the Eagles one like? Is the, it, the Eagles one is like... It's like four hours. There's it, two of them. It's, yeah, it's forever. And it's basically Glenn Fry being just being like telling stories that make him seem like the worst dude ever yeah he's terrible like just like stories like so i went up to don felber and he's got this fucking voice like and i was like i've been fucking paying you for years just like rude shit <laughs> do you know and it was on showtime that was where it aired I saw it on a plane okay so it was, it, it was they aired it on showtime and whoever programmed showtime that day is my hero but like like this person is now a legend in my own was it like that into know. first wives club or something no it was that into the big lebowski <laughs> okay <There> wow <laughs> it was so smart and so subtle and so gorgeous that i was like i want to meet them <laughs> like they're my friend does, that, does a, don henley seem like a dick he's a total dick really yeah. he's I've a been dick. listening to him like revisiting him a little bit well, his solo stuff is brilliant. Yeah, his I mean, Heart of the Matter is one of the greatest songs ever written. It's a good song. God like, ever. It. But I didn't realize End of the Innocence wasn't his song. It was um, that dude who's in that... Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby, yeah. Yep. It's a Hornsby song? Yeah. Yep. It's a total Bruce Hornsby Did song. Did you ever see that movie, that Robin Williams movie, where uh, Father of the Year or something? I thought you were going to say One Hour Photo, <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. No, the one where, like... The Bobcat Goldthwait one? Yes. Yeah, not yet. 
It's Some, incredible, and there's an amazing Bruce Hornsby. By the way, that's, you're the first person in the past couple of years who's been asked that question and said, not yet. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, I, I, I have an excuse. I have children, so I have this, like, lo- like last night I watched two television shows in a row, and, and I was like, this is a vacation in Hawaii. This is phenomenal. What did you watch? Uh, well, I watched the previous two episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that I hadn't seen because I'm a big, dumb nerd. Cool. And I knew they tied in with Captain America, but I haven't seen the second Captain America yet. Uh, but I will not yet. <laughs> Genius. Uh, there's a question I was thinking on the way here, and I was like, uh, I wonder if Jack's been asked this yet. As I just said, I have children. We're big fans of a lot of PBS shows, specifically Super Y. Oh, wow. And uh, is it true that you write songs for their touring shows? Yeah, I did the whole live show. Yeah. Like they, well, actually, it's a funny story. So they asked me to do like, my, uh, my old band Steel Train wrote a song for Yo Gabba Gabba mm-hmm. that we did on tour called It's Fun to Dance. And it was really cool and really like a neat experience. And then those people, they do super well. Also, they asked me to try to write a song, you know. So I wrote the song called, um, um, it's like, it's like, let's spell something new. Um, and so it was like the verses were like, you know, like, I'd be like let's try, you know, Steven. And, and it'd be like S T E V E. Like it was all like syncopated. But in, I, I'll, I swear to God, I'll send you this one day. I, I one of the verses that. was let's spell friend and I spelled it wrong. <laughs> like F R I E. Wait, no friend is E before. I, it's, uh, yeah. So I spelled it with the I before the E. And um, I sent it to my manager luckily before I sent it to them and it was a mortifying moment, but I fixed it. I sent it to them and they liked it. And then it was just like this ongoing thing where, I was actually really weird because it was right when uh, Fun put out Some Night, so it was like a, a really busy time, so I was kind of like recording it like anywhere I could, and I ended up doing like 30 songs. And they were so much fun because it's like the opposite of what I normally do. You know, it's like, it's so incredibly straightforward. Like in one song, you know, Super Y becomes an astronaut, and so like the lyrics are like, you know, I'm flying to the moon. Like, I can't wait because I'm flying to the moon. <laughs> it's neat. It's very cool. And, and I, having been to to see the live shows of with like i've seen i still haven't seen it uh, i haven't seen super white yet okay. it's when i know uh the girls would love to go but we've seen yo gabba that's you can't not cry when they sing the goodbye song at the end oh. and there's like all these like three-year-olds like weeping and like like desperately not understanding why it's ending <laughs> interesting story about the super white stuff we had a song called dreams come true because they wanted like an inspirational closer, which ended up being changed to You've Got the Power because they took it into research and the kids thought it meant that dreams come true in like the literal sense. Like I dreamt that like my my mom turned into a monster and like ate my feet. So it like really upset the kids. <laughs> which I thought That's was amazing. Incredible. Eating your feet is very specific. <laughs> that Dreams come true, Stephen. <laughs> One of my girls woke up, uh, was singing in her sleep the other night, and it was a song from Frozen because that's the worldwide phenomena right now. I still haven't seen it, but I want to. I haven't seen it either. Well, what's cool about it is the... It's like saving the record industry. Well, the guy... the really? guy, It's <clears throat> been number one forever. Yeah. Really? It's selling like millions of albums. Who's, who's on the soundtrack? Is it just like... Adina Menzel and then... Um, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Okay. And then one of the dudes, Jonathan Groff, who was in Spring Awakening. Um, and then... But the people who wrote the songs did Avenue Q and Book of Mormon. Oh. I thought that um, the the South Park guys wrote all of Book of Mormon. Uh, no, they worked with... They worked... They loved Avenue Q and they got paired up okay. to work together. So, I mean, he's a great, great musical songwriter. Yeah, that's really great stuff. Ray when Parker. musical theater works, it really works. And when it doesn't, Oh my lord! Really doesn't. <laughs> like, 
Bless it. It's ridiculous. Is it like... Is it? I feel like people are probably asking you to do stuff all the time, like this kind of thing or like this. I mean, is it hard for you to know, like, it's when to say no or how not to spread yourself too thin or like what's? How do you kind of approach things? I guess it was harder because we had a I, I had a weird shift. I guess where it was like I'd been touring and working for like twelve years, doing what I did, all different bands, and then fun got really big, and then all of a sudden it was like this total like crazy shift of like these things that we used to have to beg for now there was too much of so like i'll always come from a certain mentality so that w- that was a tough one uh, to figure out you know like i've never been in a position my, my whole career so like literally more than a decade before that it was always there was never too much it was always us you know we'd like go online and look for bands touring and email our agent like even when we were pretty established and be like we should try to open these shows we should try to do this or like you know we would you know have they'd call Conan for months, try to get a date, stuff like that. And so to have that flip, it really, it really fucked with me slash I think all of us because the first like year and a half, we just booked so much stuff and things got so crazy. And looking back on it, like that was a really hard time. And I'm kind of surprised that we all made it through it so well. I got really obsessed with like getting sick and terrified of that, which was obviously all manifestations of like how crazy the schedule gotten. But it's hard to learn how to say no when you come from, a world where you don't have those things. You know, I think it's like similar to like, you know, like, you know, medically, if you don't have food and then you get food, if you <laughs> stuff yourself, you die. <laughs> um, it's true. M&Ms are delicious, but a pound bag will fuck you up. But yeah. I imagine especially coming from like drive through or like that, that world, like the punk scene, like where it's like, it's such a different universe, it seems like. Yeah. Well, especially with that stuff where it's like all like, a lot of like interviews and things you do is more like just like people connecting and and doing cool stuff and I don't know I, th- I think we we learned to to keep things pretty separate and remember the stuff that was cool and we would want to do in the past and then kind of remember stuff we would have thought was lame in the past and not try to get like wrapped up in things that we should do now you know I think that there's definitely like a bad like a bad way you can get in where like you do things because like I would say the hardest part about it is like getting to a point which is something I never had before I was in like a quote unquote bigger band where it was like everything is such a big deal like if you don't do this it ties into this and these people work with these people and if we don't do it you know this conglomerate that runs these radio like and at some point everything is just a huge fucking deal or it's like oh we we have to play Spain after we play Paris because the record's doing well there and if we don't go now you know it's part of their culture they'll just hate us forever and everything is that way everything is so huge and such a big deal and at some point we learned to just start to figure out a way to say no and not feel like we were destroying our careers by saying no. Cause everything, it was never like that in the past. It was always like, should we play chain reaction before or after the troubadour? And like, it was like, <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, like it probably actually doesn't even matter if we go on tour at all. Cause no one gives a shit, you know, cut to like, we have two days at home and you know, this late night show in Germany, which is like the biggest show. Everything's the biggest show in Europe or the most important piece of press in Japan. <clears throat> at some point you kind of have to, say things are good and fuck it and we have to have a life also but there's definitely a balance there and it's definitely it's it's super uptown shit but with any landscape of life there's always different things that are are stressful and that got it got really stressful to figure out what to do and what not to do it's got to be stressful when also the person saying you have to come here to come here that's their job you know yeah you know and they're doing their job to get you and it's it's very totally and they're not wrong like no. th- it is the the biggest show in germany or it is the most important festival in duluth or whatever <laughs> but um i i started to realize that 
I went on vacation for the first time in a long time, like a couple months ago. And I got back and I went right back in the studio and I just was like crushing it. And I was like, oh, I forgot that like there is something to be said for like investing in yourself and that like maybe just doing it and having a crazy schedule isn't the most important thing. Maybe doing it well can be bigger, you know, do less, do it better. So that's that philosophy. Um, my therapist has a great line of, you know, the reason they say put the mask on you before you put it on the kid on the airplane is because if you're not breathing, you cannot help them. And the same thing can work for, you know, yourself, your own creativity. You know, you have no, to take beautiful. care of you, you know. I really thought of that. Yeah, he's one of them. That's good. <laughs> that's really good. I'm going to use that. Please, please. You should I, definitely use it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be like crying on stage today. Like, I have to put the mask on myself <laughs> yes. or else you will all die. No. <laughs> You need me to be I'm healthy. not breathing. <laughs> um, and what a beautiful therapeutic segue into the awesome video for I Want to Get Better. Man, that looked like fun. <laughs> Is that Retta from Parks and Rec? Yeah. Damn, I love her and I love that show. She's the coolest. I can only imagine. Yeah. That's a good example of someone you want to be funny in front of. I'm sure. But like, Were you funny in front of her? No, because I just kind of let her do her. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was just too awesome. I understand. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> Jonah's like, yeah, I feel that way a lot. About welcome a lot to my of whole world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then you like, always, what am I doing here? But then you always hit that one pun, man. That's that's once in a while. Once in a while, I'll hit that like perfect. He'll just nail it. Yeah, oh, and they'll be like, oh, cool. Like he was he was quiet, and we didn't know it was up. But it turned out he was a quiet genius. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or it turned out he was thinking about puns instead of participating in this conversation. Yeah. And then finally, one connected. The wizard speaks seldom. Yeah. I've had to like really watch that because like I won't even listen to what someone's saying. It's like, what rhymes with this? What rhymes with this? What rhymes? Really? Yeah. It's got, it got really bad for a while where I had to like step back. And do you like, ever do a competition? You know, they exist. I heard about that recently. Yeah. I know a guy. Yeah. Who's done them? I saw the oh winning God, stuff. God, you're doing this. We're getting you on this. Be, I saw the winning stuff and I was like, I could be better than that. That I wasn't that That impressed. means you should do it. Yeah. Oh my God. Is there money involved? Um, it's got to be something Probably. Involved. Oh my god, dude! Vice would send you. Um, I can tell you one of my f- most favorite puns. I'd that love I to hear had. It. Uh, Maybe you've heard this one about the oranges. Uh, you have, right? Please continue. I probably have told this on the podcast like eight times, but I don't care. It's a good one. I have a, I have a bunch of good ones, but yeah. So this guy was talking about how his friend was a millionaire <laughs> because his dad had invented the orange netting that they put oranges in. Yeah, and he was like, and then they licensed it to construction. So like these, all these construction companies bought it, and I was like, and they were like, and that's how that guy's so rich. I was like, oh, so he has like a Citrust fund. That's great. Yeah, that's like, great. That should Beautiful. win. Like that's, that's brilliant. That's my favorite. That when it's like a really specific situation, and you manage to pull. But it are out. you good on your feet? Because I feel like the competition. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty good on my feet. But actually, maybe not. Because I feel like the competition is sort of like slam poetry, where it's like these people have thought of it before. Yeah. Even though it seems like it's happening right there. Well, then there should be an, like a, an improvisational quotient too. You know, if you're thinking about it and you have it ready, you could do that, but you could do it. I th- I think, yeah, I think, I think it's gotta be improv. He does it here every week. Always nail something. Yeah. I mean, listen guys, you guys are very supportive. Most people I feel like are so annoyed. It's a high art form. It is. You think? I of don't... course it is. Have you read Shakespeare? It's pun after fucking pun. Well, also, I feel like the part of the brain that comes up with a pun, like most people, it's like they try to go there and it's just like, uh, like you just, you just panic and can't get there. Yeah. So I think it takes like great, like almost like meditative skills to be able to like calm down and find the pun. William Shatter, his favorite thing. Puns. puns? Yeah. You read like all interviews. Really? And he, and he is, <laughs> and he's like this, um, like he can be this very obnoxious, angry dude. Really? Was, oh, dude! I was at a I was at a comic book convention, uh, covering it, and uh, the, the 
this guy he was put in the room where Shatner was giving a talk. He he opened with like the best way to breed the dog is a specific kind of semen. And this is what he's talking about in front of like all these fans. Just a very weird dude. And he'll just like take it in different angles and whatever. But puns are just his what kind of semen? jam. You know, he didn't get into it. I don't know if there was, you know, any kind of <laughs> litmus test for it. Also, like what do you, what, a kind of semen? You know, dog breeding, horse breeding is very weird because the way evolution is supposed to work is spreading everything out. Yeah. Um, but then you have this group of people who are like no 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 keep it together huh you know so whenever i see a dog that's not a mutt i'm like that's a fascinating piece of science there that should not exist totally you know i have a mutt yeah oh see yeah good dogs this is a wild animal what kind of scene yeah. is it bred with you know it's unclear yeah yeah <laughs> i'd love to get some <laughs> i met him when he was four so like one of my dreams in life is to see him as a child yeah but it's so ex- you can clone a dog Oh yeah, it's just I think it's like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars, literally. But they only live half as long. They still have. Is that true? Yeah, they still haven't mastered how the why cloning. It's um. Do they just like disappear or they just like <laughs> no, they, die normal? They, they get they get old. They get older quicker. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? Oh yes. This yeah. is something that really you can really do. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah no, it's like a website. Yeah, yeah. you can clone. Yeah. You can clone something. You, you can officially dough. clone a dog. I had no idea that was possible. Yeah, they tried to do it. They there was a you know a crossbreed of a of a goat and a sheep called a geep years and years ago. Mm-hmm. I wish I was making that up. I really do, because that because that's what they went for geep. Because like shoat, you know, it's weird. Shoat, yeah. yeah. Shoat doesn't work. It sounds vaguely well sexual, but geep. Well, I guess that. I guess you can go any way with that. But then they realized that it it aged quicker. You know. So that's what's going to happen. We're going to be doing that with people and then harvesting organs and then transmetropolitan will be a real comic. Oh man! <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> freaks me out. Um, so you you just got back in town. You finished the Bleachers record. Yeah. Well, I finished tracking it. Yeah. Yeah. So like now it's like the obnoxious task of mixing it. Um, but it it means a lot to finish tracking it because I've been tracking it for like a year. And it was just all you. Uh, yeah. Just because like sometimes it's easier to do something you suck at and take. I feel like this works in a lot of areas of life and to take, you know, a hundred times longer to do it than it is to try to explain what you want to someone. So I, I, you know, like, you know, there's nothing really overly like proggy on the album so I could pull anything off like drum parts or whatever. And like we could have had like people come in and just like nail it, but it it just, you know, it would have just frustrated me to try to explain it rather than just, you know, spend forever trying to do it. You can play drums. Enough. I can't. Played on. I feel like it's so hard. It is really. You know what it is? It's not hard to for me to play. It's hard to keep time. Yeah. But I love like I do a lot of sampling, so I'll play a lot of stuff and then kind of cut it up. And um, I played very seldomly. Did you ever hear that fun song "Walking the Dog" on the first album? I'm not sure. It's got like that high guitar part. I played drums on that, and it was like a very obnoxious moment where like we had the drummer in who had like done the whole album, and I was like, I don't know, man. Like it just doesn't feel right. And then I like kept going and be like, you know, like do it like this, and I like, kept like looking at Nate and Andrew, and like finally they were like, Jack, why don't you do it? I was like, I could, do, you know, I could do it. It's like I'm down to do it, but it's like it's just what serves the song best is all that matters. But that was a, a big first drum moment. Drums are fun. Drums, drums are fun. Yeah, it, it's it's a big pain in the butt but all drummers want to be front men so it's is that true oh yeah i just want to be a drummer yeah see oh yeah because you play guitar every every because i was a drummer and a, and a terrible one but every band i was in the guitar players as soon as i stopped playing they would go over and just start yeah it's the worst around. part of practice yeah when everyone starts playing drums and they make that fucking face at everyone like i'm doing good yeah and you're going no you're really <laughs> yeah. not 
But you're that keeping time thing, man. It's like when you seal, when you when you seal, that was weird. Um, when when you, seal. I remember watching Rush play, and there's a moment during a Rush song where um, you know Neil Peart puts on a click track, and you're like, well, shit, if he's doing it, like that's some he hard. does At one, a couple of songs, one, yeah. really. Red Sector A, I believe, is the song. My my Rush lore stops around Hold Your Fire. So anything previous, I wonder why he does that. Fucking keep time, man. You know it's hard. He does a lot of shit, you know? Yeah. And you can also, you know, it's playing. I, I find, I kind of got away from going to see live music. And recently I went and saw um, uh, Rocket from the Crypt. They're and still playing? They did a reunion this past year. Well, wow. they did, And they did they did a set of uh, East Coast dates. Mm-hmm. And I went to see Who them. Who played drums for them? Uh, 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 Mario Rubalcaba. Oh, really? From Off? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he was... He replaced Adam the first time Adam quit, and then Adam got back in the band, and then he joined against me, and then... Because when I saw them last summer, Adam was playing drums yeah. for them, and against me played the same show. He played two sets. Oh, he played, I thought Max Weinberg was... Uh, Max Weinberg's son was in against me. Jay now. Weinberg was. He's not anymore. He's not? No. What happened? Uh, someday we'll talk to Jay. Yeah, we'll someday we'll have him it. on. I, they... He's not. They Adam joined, and then the bass player from the International Noise Conspiracy is playing with them. Andrew, hmm. their like longtime bass player, left too, kind of around the same time. Interesting. So yeah, so it's Laura, James, Adam, and the Noise Conspiracy. Dude. How is it right now? I haven't seen it. It's good. The new record's great. Really? Yeah, and the, live it. I was so surprised plays. that Teenage Anarchist wasn't like a bigger like underground hit. Good song. It's like a great fucking song. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the it's video like, is awesome. The, the video, video is incredible. Yeah. I remember I that lo- video all the time. I love that video. Yeah. Like you listen to alternative radio, and it's like, how was that song not like on alternative radio like crazy? Because they I didn't feel like defining anarchists I, for their listeners. I, I don't know though. I don't Fair understand. <laughs> it's don't, so good. It is yeah. good. I don't understand radio really though. Like I was listening on the way here. I was listening to the new Manchester Orchestra record. Yeah, and I was like. This sounds like something that would be cool to be on the radio, but I was like, does this kind of stuff get played on the radio? Like That one's kind of getting played on alternative radio. I've heard Living in New York is weird because this amazing format that is alternative radio doesn't exist. No. And it's like, you know, in the landscape, like anywhere else in the country you go and you'll have like a pop station, you'll have like an adult contemporary station, and then you'll have like a station that'll like be playing 90s, like Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana mixed with whatever is like current alternative which some of it totally sucks and some of it's awesome mm-hmm. um and it's like bizarre new york we had one we had um rxp remember that for yeah. a minute and it's you know in the landscape of radio it's by far because, a, a very tolerable format because radio got destroyed with and you know it's very common it's it's so easy to go clear channel killed it well they fucking killed it because it used to be when i was growing up outside of um dc we had this radio station called whfs with the hf festival if you've heard of that hf festival around uh, it's online. Is it? Yeah. I feel like I was just there for something. It, Baltimore? Y- yep, Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. And it was on, and it was, that's what, I remember as a kid listening to like, you know, B106 or some, you know, pop station, which I didn't know what it was. My mm-hmm. brain hadn't been around that long to understand it. Then I turn on this other channel and I hear the Stranglers and I hear Jesus and Mary Chain. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. It was modern rock at the time. But it was always new stuff, which is why pop radio stations are great because they don't go back two years. They play everything pretty currently. But if you listen to an alternative rock station... <laughs> Dude, I think every time I'm home, I turn the radio, it's like Alice in Chains Rooster. 
every year <laughs> for yeah. like the last 25 years. I'm like, how is this song always on? That's my point. <laughs> like, it's so weird. That, like certain Smashing Pumpkins yeah, songs. Like, Nirvana. Like that's, that sponge song I still hear all the time on the radio. Oh, Plowed. It's a good Pearl song. Pearl Jam song, like Yellow Lebret, the one that sounds like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there was like like all that, like basically what was pop radio in 1994. Yes. Yeah. Someone explained it to me once. Haven't we talked about it on here? We did. Yeah, they're, called, ex- they're called Golds. Yeah. Golds? Yeah. It's your gold, it's your gold track that you know that people are always going to like. So what? since the... The um that since the generation gap is done, because if you have kids now and you are in this age group, that if you if you someone explained to me years ago if you if your kids are listening to Interpol you like it because you liked Joy Division, you know uh-huh. so there's no age gap so your kids are gonna you know of course like Nirvana and of course like Foo Fighters because that's gonna get interspersed with the alternative rock landscape if yeah. there is such a thing so to keep everyone listening. They pepper their gold hits like um, Black by Pearl Jam. Right. You know, and they're going to put that in with newer stuff, which I find frustrating because when I was growing up, that was a classic rock station that was totally yeah. separate. Right. Which which there was a weird bleed because I remember recently I was listening to Q104 and I heard um, Pearl Jam on Q104 and it made me feel very old and weird because that is like, that's like this no man's land moment in music, which is like, you know basically like 90s to 2000 where it's like some of the best stuff was released but it's it's unclear where it lands format wise and yeah. so it does end up on alternative stations and then you'll find you know in the midwest uh who usually have great radio stations there'll be some random radio station that'll play everything they'll sneak in you know nirvana you know mm-hmm. which like when i was in high school nirvana was led zeppelin but there was a clear definition of what radio station you listen to totally you know and it, i that's why when I first heard Fun, uh, it was... Uh, on Classic Rock Radio. It was literally on Classic <laughs> Rock Radio in between Sgt. Pepper's The Entire Record For real? and 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Very, very bizarre. Which, 1910 Fruit Gum Company, the best, most popular song about blowjobs ever. Really? I think we can all, yummy, 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 I've got love in my tummy. And they got away with it. Like, how the fuck did they do that in the early 70s? That's the most popular blowjob song? Uh, I think, yeah. Hold on, let's think for a second, guys. Mm. The only other one I can think of was that that disastrous Justin Bieber lollipop song. Oh, the, Mika has a lollipop song. Oh yeah, Mika would. Yeah. I can do hard on lollipop. Yeah, that might be. I, I think it's a blowjob song. <laughs> I mean, if you think it, it is. Isn't that the def- truest definition of, definition of art? There's that song that plays at the beginning of the Bang Bus <laughs> uh, clips. Mm. It's like suck my dick, suck my. I don't dick. know. I never listen. I never focus on that part of the clip. <laughs> you don't? No. That's not Did what brings you, you to completion. At- no, no, not really. No. <laughs> really? No. I thought it was the music. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I don't even have the sound on. Really? Yeah. But the fact that I can get all you're that like on- you're like hunched over in the bathroom <laughs> usually. But yeah. the fact that I ha- that I can get all that on my phone now has just changed the game. Really? Because it's too small. That's my problem. Really? Yeah. You can. Oh, yeah, I guess true. Yeah. I mean, how, do you have like a Sony HTC or like a Samsung Galaxy? <laughs> no, or I'm straight I'm up. still on an iPhone. Yeah, I'm, it's iPhone okay. for me. Yeah. <laughs> I have an iPhone and I feel like I'm going to look back on this and be like, why did I have an iPhone? Really? Yeah, I feel like whenever someone has one of those Samsung Galaxy phones, I'm like, this looks like so much more futuristic It's so and cool. big though. That's my thing. It's Every time large. someone takes one of those things out, I think it's like a bomb. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> also like, not, not to be like totally conformist to like, like no, Apple fine, or anything, but like, isn't there something vaguely pathetic when you see a Samsung Galaxy? Don't you, isn't it kind of like 
Like, yeah, like, <laughs> where are you from? Like, I, what's I, up? Like, it's like... I like the idea of just being contrarian, like, in practice, but then I'm always like, it seems too complicated. I know how to sync this with everything. Yeah, I feel like having a Samsung Galaxy would be a stressful thing in life. If I was still dating, okay, and I and I was dating someone, I don't know what this means. I'm just free associating right now, and they like they were like had a good date, and they like picked up a Samsung Galaxy out of their purse at the end of the meal. I would honestly be like, no, <laughs> I don't know why I think that. That's just like, well, you know what you want, pure man. Honesty. That's good. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, that's completely fair. <laughs> Someone listening to this right now just got incredibly self-conscious, I feel like, and they're just staring <laughs> at their phone. Someone listening to this on their Samsung Galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, we are not remiss to to deny Samsung Galaxy a sponsorship of the podcast, so <laughs> yeah. um, sure. we will recant <laughs> everything immediately all the Samsung employees <laughs> listening to us. <laughs> Bizarre. Uh, couldn't come up with any other name besides Bleachers? Uh, <laughs> no. And I and I, it's a good name, but I remember thinking that I, I wonder when you hit the wall of shit. What the hell we had to call Dude, it? It was actually pretty easy because okay. so I didn't want to call it my name because I thought that was a little too like screamed of like this is my project. <laughs> you know, it's like and like I get very sensitive to like a lot of like the annoying stigmas that come along with like people in bands who do other stuff because it's just like. A, you know, like terms like side project and things like that. There are all these like obnoxious like ways that people love to like categorize things or simplify things, simplify things that aren't simple. Um, and so I knew I didn't want to call it my name. And then I had the song that I was working on. And, you know, when you're like writing anything or a document or whatever, you just like, it could be like Sheridan or, or just like three o'clock. Like you just like have to have like a working title. Bleachers wasn't in the lyrics, but I just called it Bleachers. And then the song started to mean a lot to me. And then I kind of looked back at that, what I had titled the session for some reason. I was like, this name is so connected to a lot of the feelings of the music. It's so like suburban and disconnected and kind of reminds me of this moment in my life that I'm writing from. And so it just was very obvious very early. What was that moment? Moment in like, you know, I, I think I, I basically always write about when I was 17, 18, 19 years old and I just write about it through the lens of now or what I thought then or what I think I might think. Um, I think all you can do is write about really the experiences you've had. And I had a lot of really intense experiences when I was that age. And so everything is just kind of me talking about that, but from how I feel about it at this moment. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you were playing in bands and doing all that at those ages, right? It was. But like it was, you know, I remember being like 17 and my life felt very uh, sort of perfect and sheltered and not connected with anything horrible. And then like in like a stream of things like 9-11 happened my sister died and then my cousin was killed in the war and it was just this like massive moment where everything shifted and kind of interestingly enough, not just in my life, but also, you know, when nine eleven happened, kind of everything in the world changed. Um, but I had all these other kind of horrible things happen to me too. And so it was just this total age of innocence over kind of thing. And I really look at my life as like being split in half from like before and after. So I really only write about that because... I know it seems like the only thing I can write about that. Like if I'm not writing about that, I'm almost like not being honest or something. And I think a lot about you guys, mountain goats fans. Yes. Love the mountain goats. And I love like, you know, dance music is perfect song. Like, you know, he's writing a song about playing dance music loud in his room. So like he doesn't have to hear his mother being beaten by his father. It's like the most incredible song ever. And it's so honest. And it's like made me, um, you know, I've gotten so much from like those kind of lyrics. So I think that like, it's so important to, 
to give back and be honest and write very specific lyrics that are not necessarily sexy but extremely honest and and that's that's what every, steel train always was that's what this album is to me how'd your sister pass away brain cancer sucks yeah but there's a lot to say about it and there's a lot you know I've gotten a lot from people who talk about moving on. I think I think in life everyone's trying to move on. Like I don't meet a lot of people who are like shit's great. You know, I'm just like, you know, and I and the happiest I've ever been, I don't mean this in a dark way, but the happiest I've ever been is when I can like just keep finding ways to move on, which is what I want to get better is about. Yeah. You know, like the idea of being better is such horseshit, right? But or to me, maybe to some people it isn't. But the idea of I want to get better is for me and I hope other people too very powerful. Because that's the happiest I can ever be is hoping to be better. You know, if you're, if you're better, quote unquote, you're probably like at ground zero of being a horrible person. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, when was the last time you thought you were like, I'm better, I'm, I'm fixed. <laughs> like, you know, but yeah. wanting to be better, that's an amazing emotion. So that that's the whole album is just very honest about things that I've been through and then trying to twist it to find some kind of hope. Because it could have gone way darker. Someone told me just recently... <laughs> Uh, said there are no adults. It's just a you know, bunch of teenagers faking it. That makes a lot of sense. That's how you I know. feel. You know, <laughs> like, it's like it's, a big gross teen acting like a normal person. Dude, every. I mean, we're definitely all dressed like teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> at some point. Except Jack is the most fashionable one here in the yes, room. Yes, Jack is really. The most fashionable. This is this, this is J Crew, not to upset you. <laughs> uh, this is Old Navy. So <laughs> this is a silkworm shirt I bought with a vinyl pre-order. So. Fuck you! You win! <laughs> you win! Fuck yourself, Jonah. <laughs> Obscure Chicago indie rock band I'm obsessed with. Uh, that's a that's a lot to overcome, and I, I learned very recently that overcome isn't. Um, uh, that overcome is continual, you know. Oh yeah, you know. There's there's no there's no end to it. No, and which is not something people tell you when something horrible happens. No, because I think they'd be afraid that you'd like jump off a bridge. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it thinks. It, I always think about it this way: like you lose someone or you lose something. It's like you only miss them more as time goes on. You find ways to deal with it, and it changes. And, get, and but like, you know, like if you go to camp for three weeks. And you want to go home. If you went for another three weeks, it gets worse. So I, I just think it's sort of fascinating when something gets harder, but slash gets easier because as it's getting harder, you're more and more finding a place to put it in. And I think we all have that in some way, whether it's like little things or huge things. It's a lot. What branch of the service was your cousin in? He was a Marine. Yikes. Yeah. Marines go first. That's how it works. Yeah. It really sucked. Because also it just like made me feel like I feel like there's this important thing in life where like you're like you're on a plane you're like the plane's gonna crash and then you're like no it won't you know I'm, there's obviously a specific part of the brain that thinks that but you start having enough experiences where that thing happens that you feared to where then you flip and then you're like oh it probably will happen so that was one of the hardest things about all that is like you know I kept having these experiences where like you know, like losing my sister and then like my cousin going to war and everyone's like, it's probably gonna be fine. War's not like it was. And he did die. And then like being in the city for nine 11, which was extremely traumatic, obviously for all of us, like it just felt like anything could happen. Like it felt like if someone was like, you know, I heard people are, you know, shooting people in the head on fifth Avenue. I'd be like, we got to stay off fifth Avenue. Like, and so that was, um, a lot of like catastrophic thinking 
I worked really hard to get over because it's just really easy. I think in our in modern times, it's easy for anyone, no matter what you've been through, to kind of get stuck in that. I was on the treadmill today. And I was looking at the news, and it was just like a loop of like people, the gun gun down in Calgary or whatever, yeah. the plane in Malaysia, the ferry in Ukraine, Korea. and the ferry. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, and I just anything can fucking happen. I think I think I think it might have been Dan Rather. Maybe? <laughs> It was um, one of the newscasters, and, and, and someone please correct me. In fact, period, just correct me. Uh, but it was um, maybe 70s, Vietnam, I'm thinking. It was just a shitty fucking day, you know, just like everything awful. And he went, uh, on a lighter note, this is how many babies were born today. And, and, and he, like, just threw that in there, and it was like an actual statistic where News gets so focused on shit, 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 shit. Yeah. Um, because that sells, because we're tweaky people who watch TV shows about the undead, but the majority of it is happy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's hard, even at the... Someone just said to me recently, like, you know, uh, you're going to find happy moments on the worst days, hmm. you know, and don't fight that. And it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting to me how people can create something because i'm not a creative person and uh well, my mother thinks i am god help her <laughs> but um like to be able to take something like that and put it into like you said honest lyrics or something because that's very intimate and you're purposely sharing what you're feeling with a whole lot of people it, it, it means a lot to me to do so it makes me the microphone didn't pick up the squeaky farty chair jack <laughs> <laughs> it um <laughs> I think that's, that's, I mean, you know, that's like, uh, like if you ever had a panic attack and then you talk to someone else about panic attacks and then you realize that other people are having your experience, it's like the only thing that you can, can actually make you feel better, like even better than Klonopin. Um, and so like, I think that sharing it is really important. And also it's like, I like the idea, like, you know, if I'm going to be on a major label and have a radio staff work the songs to radio and go for that kind of thing, then I'm going to do something that I I would want I'd feel really proud to exist in that, in that place, especially in a world where it's like a lot of, a lot of things do get dumbed down and, you know, to quote Kanye, like another dance track has got to hurt. And it's true. <laughs> like I want to, you know, feel really good about stuff. You know, I grew up in the nineties. I like mainstream. I just like mainstream. You know, I, you know, when I grew up, you guys remember this, like you walked down the street, you see someone your age and you were like, Oh, we're friends because I know that you like Weezer and I know that you, you know, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. So it's just like, we're just, we're, we're cool. Because it was like a time when the, the huge things connecting us were awesome. Where, you know, then rap metal happened and destroyed the world. And then everyone <laughs> spread out into all these different places. And then all these big things, they weren't connecting us. They were just existing. Like, like we're not connected by Katy Perry's Dark Horse. It's the biggest song on the radio, but we're not connected by it. It's just happening. You know, whereas like we were connected as a culture to like, you know, basket case or when i come around we were because mm-hmm. it was fucking awesome or like when the tonight tonight video came out like the the we were connected so i just feel very firm i feel firmly about like the idea of mainstream being awesome like if it happened again it you know the 90s were so good but no, was it good just because no the age we were no because think- it, it's still good like those bands are classic yeah you know like put it this way like what was you know shit that was all over the radio in the late 90s like is not becoming classic 
you know, shit that was all over the radio in the early 2000s is not becoming classic. Like, no one's going to turn around and decide that, like... Papa Roach. Papa Roach was classic. You know, I yeah. think we're at an age now... I used to think about this all the time, especially with, like, the scene. I used to be like, God, like, do I just think this modern screamo shit sucks because it's now, and in truth, the get-up kids were that? But they weren't. They were awesome. Like, like you know, because... Quick sidebar. Papa Roach, nicest fucking dudes. Interviewed them a bunch, hung out. Great guys. Really? Great guys. And and, See, and again, <laughs> and again, I just wanted to like get something in on them for some reason. And again, and again, um, each of their albums, whether you're a fan or not, because I had to listen to them all when I had to interview them, evolves. Really, whether you like it or not, they shifted things up, which is like you know what a band should do. Okay, I'll redact that, and I want to substitute in Alien Ant Farm. Can we agree on that? I think we have to. Yeah, are they, are they yeah. nice guys? Well, um, <laughs> according according to someone we've had on the podcast, no, and we'll talk about that later. Fred, we could just go like Limp Biscuit with it. Okay, I interviewed Fred once. Yeah, I actually saw them in Germany about three months ago, and it was pretty amazing. Was it pretty amazing? <laughs> it was amazing. Just like going to a wax museum is amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I and and everybody that was in the production room we were talking about the interview and they're like we gotta do something to fred we gotta fuck with fred everybody and i was the one person going no i'm pretty sure he's gonna step on his own dick in the middle of the interview i'm pretty positive that's gonna happen and he showed up and uh he had on uh, a minor threat t-shirt yeah, dude that's all those kind of dudes always have on like the most credible band shirts yeah so he wears a minor <laughs> threat like, t-shirt what's your favorite minor threat album? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, 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 I did something worse. It's uh, like the, uh, scenes from an Italian restaurant. <laughs> he, he, exactly. <laughs> well, the Discord box set had just come out. Okay, so he just picked it up at like uh, Urban Outfitters? Well, I just bought it. And um, I know, and they get no money from that. Really? Yeah, my, mine is like it's no money because that this, is crazy. It, it's crazy. Yeah, I saw Kristen Stewart on the MTV Movie Awards like two years ago in a minor threat shirt. And then I like went online and found out that it was all being sold in Urban they, Outfitters. They bought the license and the band. We had on La Presla from Minor Threat in the podcast talked all about the licensing and he's a lawyer and they all have to agree on it and it's just this weird process and we'll we'll get them all on we'll get baker on at some point and get get his take um so fred is talking and i was like oh the discord box set just came out did you get that he's like oh no you know and i see in his eyes he didn't know what i was talking about and uh he went yeah but you know i always tried to uh you know style my way of singing after ian mckay and my first thought was okay if i punch him I'll be instantly famous, <laughs> but he could probably beat the fuck out of me in front of everybody here. So I'm not going to hit him. He's doing a really bad job of channeling his <laughs> yeah, inner Ian. I, I am not. I'm not seeing yeah. that. Yeah, but at the end of the day, he does have a Kurt Cobain tattoo. So there's that. Of what? Like his face. face? Yeah, like on his chest. Yeah. You know what I've really come to realize? Things are as they seem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I feel like we have this like. uh like desperation and believe that like you know like someone like fred durst like they're in a band that's huge and all this stuff like it's so you want to believe that there's something there you're missing because it's so massive but like sometimes it's like a guy looks acts talks and appears to be sort of um a philistine and, yeah. and they are that mm-hmm. you know and sometimes yeah. a guy looks acts talks and seems to write the greatest songs and they're springsteen and they are the greatest and then like it just it, things are like when was the last time you were really shocked by someone you know i think people's art tells a lot about them you know i think everyone loves these stories of like oh so and so is actually a dick or so and so is actually this but it's like i think we pretty much know who's a dick because they seem like a fucking dick 
or at least that's been my experience. It's, uh, Are you guys talking about the Eagles again? Yes, I was talking <laughs> about the Eagles. <laughs> <for> the <laughs> Although Joe Walsh, super cool. He's, yeah, I met him at a, at a cool. celebrity baseball game once. Yeah, and I met him and Noah, Noah Wiley in the same 10 minutes span. Oh, wow. Which is not a lot of people that can say that from <laughs> yeah. ER. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I was going to say, yeah I, was, yeah. I was in my head thinking, what pun could I put in? But I couldn't think of anything. No, Wiley. Err, er, 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 Clooney. Er. Well, you know, it's that, not really a pun. This is there, there's only one. There's only one <laughs> good play. Er. There's only one good pun, and that's no effects talking about the germs. Remember they did that. Shane West did that germs movie that never and then came joined out. the germs and then joined the germs and and Pat, and Pat Mike goes, yeah, he put the ER in germs. <laughs> <laughs> only one that works. I first saw fun on uh, on the uh, MTV on the now late MTVU. The MTV is gone? It's gone completely. They wiped away a lot of stuff. Really? Oh, yeah. I just did the Woodies, though. Did that not air anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> they, it aired online. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. They're I not know. accredited anymore? What happened? <clears throat> the Woodies is a great, great show. <laughs> and it's a great award show. It's a lot of fun. I think they, they do it in Austin, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really, um, it's cool. Yeah. It's like fully cool. Like mm-hmm. it, it, they get really good bands and mm-hmm. it's just like a big festival. Yeah. I was, I was working at MTV at the time and I was like, I hope I get to do the Woodies, <laughs> or at least the movie awards. Then I got rid of everything we worked on. But um, uh, saw it and I remember seeing the band going, "That's that's the dude from the format." <laughs> and then I'm staring again. I'm like, "Holy shit, it's a dude from Steel Train!" And 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 then we're like, "And that's the dude from Straight Light Run." <laughs> yeah. And that's the dude from Kofax. Yeah. And that's the dude from Montevallo. <laughs> what is happening? Yeah, I was like, "My God, it's the definition of a supergroup right here in front of me." <laughs> <laughs> completely and utterly no it was the first record actually was will playing drums for you no the first wasn't record? playing on the first no. record love that man i haven't will, talked to him in forever uh, will he's really into bitcoins huh huge he, he made me buy a bitcoin really yeah so i bought a bitcoin for 60 bucks okay and i think right now they're fluctuating between like 400 and 1200 really yeah it's extremely volatile in the best way <laughs> so then what well it's unclear like i don't you know i think will's invested a lot of money and i know he's like sold and bought and he's really into it i mean you know i we, we make fun of him a lot about it but it's actually really interesting yeah i've listened to a lot of podcasts about it and it's one of those things where i'm like if i was smarter i would probably get involved in this but i'm not like i wish yeah, i understood well, the it bubble more. may have already burst though yeah because it kind of feels like that moment where we've already everyone's already sort of knows and then the winklevoss twins like put like a few billion dollars into it and or then something that, that main site like Mount Gox. Yeah. Well, that went under. It's very, it's weird. It's like certain territories are recognizing it. If it was recognized like by the States tomorrow, it would probably be crazy. I don't know. Will's got so much information. I think I was on like overstock.com the other day and they're like, we accept Bitcoins. Yeah, places are, well, I think that the issue was at the beginning, it was like a way to buy like heroin online. Right. And now it's becoming more legitimate. And I didn't, so what is it? Each coin is like, it's a really complex code of numbers. It's a complex code of numbers. Like you can't, like people own pieces. There's only like 21 million in the world and you can mine for them. So like if you like work within the system every once in a while, it like shoots off a Bitcoin. I don't get it at all. But like, and then there, there can only be 21 million. It's like a chronic waste of time. It seems like it does, but it also, it's like a chronic waste of time that could turn into the world's currency is the theory. I mean, it seems well, like the currency we use now is like we're off the gold standards kind of silly too. It's, it's just like fiction. a piece of paper currency with like a guy's face mean, on it. But, yeah. but the difference, what Bitcoin would argue, this is what I think, is that, but that currency isn't capped in anything. So right. therefore it's, it can just continue to lo- to be worthless. Whereas Bitcoin capping itself, there's a worth there. So Bitcoin is basically like each Bitcoin is like a bank. So you have different people who invest in your bank and then you can then 
you can borrow from that bank. You can take someone else's money and fund a mortgage through it, right? I don't know. What Me you, Will is listening <laughs> to this being like, oh Will's my like, God, oh these God, guys no, are explaining this so badly. Uh, but it's fun. Like, it's fun to have one just so I can feel like I'm yeah. a part of the puzzle. Yeah, no. You know? and he, But he's really in. Wow. Yeah. It's but definitely it, terrifying. Yeah. I don't, it's I, a weird time to be alive, I think. It's definitely a weird time to be alive. It's hard to know what thing. has value. If, <laughs> yes. So if there's an electromagnetic pulse and destroys everything, I have 10 bucks in my pocket. I could go buy something and live. If you have everything in Bitcoins, I'm now the richest guy in the world. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's definitely a valid tangible. argument. You know, it's very weird. It's me. very weird. Anything, I mean, even a bank is, I think a bank is crazy. Yeah. Like, like I always think, like if I like sign online and look at like my bank statement, like what if it's at zero one day? Yeah, like what do you like? What do? would I do? Would I just like run to the bank and be like, ah, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> and then what would they do? Like there, like there has to be errors because they're gonna go online and go, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, like you do have zero. I don't well, even know how you I got, got the account here. Did you ever see that documentary Collapse? And we talk about this a lot, but the guy Michael Rupert just died. He killed himself, and he was the guy who like foresaw this like crazy financial collapse. And it's like he, this is it on happened. Netflix? Yeah, oh, I can't wait to see it. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. I'm on a major tear right now. I've seen like Dude. 11 documentaries in the past five days. This one, wow. is, most porn related. Yeah, Where, yeah. Which what's a good porn one? Well, I don't want to cut you. Bold, but no, like no, no. just like just see collapse. It's I mean collapse. It, it will freak you out. It's All right, text me about that. Collapse could also be porn related too. Yes. Yeah. What uh what what have you been watching? Um, like like stuff like life after porn. Oh yeah, that's not part um, of that. It's it it wasn't great as a documentary, but the subject matter is so fantastic that I it's just so fascinating to me. Like anyone that can do it. Yeah. And like just what compels these people. Um, I love that. I love weed documentaries. I don't smoke weed, but I'm just fascinated by it. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been watching a lot of... I watched Loose Change again recently. Just got some wheel spinning that Check shouldn't spin. Check out Tobacco Wars. That tobacco was Wars? 10 year, 10, 12 years ago. It was on the Learning Channel. And it's about the tobacco industry. There's one about beer too, Fast, beer wars, yeah. and how the, the distributors work, and how Anheuser Busch and two really? other ones like oh, own yeah. every grocery store, and they have like fake boutique beers to get, to keep the spot away from indies. It's really crazy. It's like what are the of, fake boutique beers? Like it'll be like they'll be like so and so like organic blah blah blah, and then they'll look at it and they're like, this is actually like owned by Anheuser Busch, and they created this because someone was competing with them, so they just made their own so they could get the shelf space instead of this company. It's like. That's insane. It's really oh, wild. Dude, I remember living in California and uh, I was working at this vintage clothing store and this guy I was working with, a tall rockabilly dude with red hair, and someone came in and said, hey, I'm a casting agent and we're doing this Coca-Cola commercial. The audition's tomorrow and then we're shooting it on Saturday. We think you'd be great with it. And it turned out to be this ad with everybody with red hair in it. So he didn't have a car and I was like, I'll take you. I'll go hang out. And um, he auditioned and he got it and they shot it so quick. And I was like, why did they shoot it so fast? And he said they told him that the cola wars are very real and that Pepsi and there's like corporate espionage between Coca-Cola and Pepsi and who's going to have the different ad and what's going to happen. And it's so secretive. The cola wars the are cola very wars. real. It's outregulated by the United Carbon Nations, I believe. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> It's put, a mid-level pun, yeah, but it's, it's good. Yeah, it's a mid-level. I also yeah. play in a band called United Nations, so I have a lot of UN puns. That was yeah. a pretty good one. Yeah. Actually, it was, I would say it's better than mid-level now that I think about it. Yeah, thank you. United <laughs> Carbonations. <laughs> <laughs> may have been a top-level pun. That, that was pretty good. That's a slow burn. Yeah. That was very nice. It's, uh, yeah. Sit, let it sit for a while. Yeah. I'll let it bubble. Let <laughs> Does that work? Yeah. That was great. That yeah. totally works. That was, that was gorgeous. I can't. I can't. 
computer. You got any, you're the last one. Oh, yeah, I got you're the only one in the room who hasn't thought of a genius there's, there's, pun, there's Steven. Nothing, there's We're nothing. just going to sit here and stare at you until it happens. It's not going to happen. Not at all. I'm not, I'm not very good at, nothing. at puns. At puns. I but, keep uh, thinking there's something with fun and pun or like... Well, I do think that band Fizz and the Tantrums <laughs> is going to play a new song. <laughs> Wham! Yeah. Wham! I knew it. <laughs> I knew you were going to pull one off. That's, I knew, yeah. I so the it. whole time he was like, I got nothing in his head. He was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's right. The gears are clacking. That's yes. how it works. Yeah. Is Bleach is going to tour? Like crazy. Right on. Yeah. We got, we're doing Europe in July. We're announcing full US tour that'll be in the summer. Doing a bunch of festivals. Doing like La Palooza, Governor's Ball. Oh, right on. Um, Firefly. Very fun. Have you ever been to Governor's Ball? Uh, no, but I think we're going this year. Cool. Um, is that on Governor's Island? It's not. It's on Randall's Island. Am I oh, wrong? It is. No, I think you're right. For, I wish it I was just, on Governor's Island. I remember seeing, remember thinking that, and then seeing something that, and I was like, "What?" And it wasn't. I saw Yaysayer on Governor's Island, which was pretty I, crazy. I hung out there once, and it was so beautiful. It but, is, but you are trapped. <laughs> yeah. What is that island like? If you're on the FDR, and it's like right in the middle, it looks like there's like a haunted hospital on it. That is Roosevelt Island. You yeah. can actually live there and it is a haunted hospital. It was, it's an old, um, someone uh, really has the information. <laughs> it's an old, it's an old, no, because I'm fascinated by little places like that. It's an old mental institution. It really is. Mm-hmm. And there's so like people one live bar there? or something? No, no, they, it's torn down, but they, they like the way it looks. So they set up lights just to make it look even creepier. Yeah. Who does that? Like who, like who, like in a meeting, like like you know, whoever, like whatever governor, whoever, they're like blah blah, blah and the homeless and this and this and you know, getting people off the street and soup kitchens, and then seventy thousand dollars to light up the old crazy bin. Like, <laughs> how does that happen? It looks cool. I love it, but I'm yeah. just wondering where that goes down. Because we worry about the aesthetic. It's a great aesthetic. Mm-hmm. That's the, a lot of people who work at the. It's UN better than public art. On. I'll put it that way. What? It's better than public art. Public art. Yeah. Like what, what defines public art? Like when you're in like a park in St. Louis and you see like some rusty metal, like, you know, like bent into like an old bird and it's like 17 feet high and you're just like, ah, you know what I mean? <laughs> that is public art. <laughs> you know I, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do know. They, they have a lot of that in Cleveland. Yeah. Or like yeah. you're at an intersection and there's just like 11 scarecrows painted pink on one corner and you're just like, what the fuck? And as you drive by, there's like a little sign that's like, you know, so-and-so did this and it's disgusting. <laughs> that is public art. I was wondering how long it would take before you started ranting about public art. Yeah. You'll see it on like a bench. You'll see it. You'll see a bench that looks like a bench, but then like the backside of it's like twisting and winding and looks like 11 swords. See, I always see the, the art that's a, a person, but it's not. It's like a statue, but it looks like a person. They're reading, but they're not. And it's... That's not not public art. No. All right. <laughs> Yeah, D- double infinitive. That's very good. Yeah, D- um, D- <laughs> that is D- no double double negative. Double infinitive, split infinitive, split infinitive. I don't know any of them. So any of them. I don't really. All I remember is I, I learned the term double negative when when um oh god when the cranberries had that their last big hit um zombie. No, this was the the record Linger? after. And they had a song, and, and the lyrics were, all you kids with heroin eyes, don't do it because it's not not what it seems. And I remember thinking, that means it is what it seems. They are encouraging children to do smack. <laughs> this band is very confused. It is not not what it seems. What, yeah. what, was that the 90s? It was the 90s. Remember that? Remember, remember Live? Yes. yes. They had a lyric, which I never understood, where it was, Hitler in your robe of truth. 
I something something like I like loved you until now. You know, it's weird. Is that on Secret Samadhi? <laughs> it's on whatever has lightning crashes. Throwing Copper. Oh, Throwing Copper. So I've recently, for some reason, <laughs> I, well, I recently listened to Throwing Copper, Good like record. maybe two weeks ago. Does it hold up? A little. Some does, some doesn't, but I was Did like... Did your I'm, placenta fall to the floor? <laughs> I looked it up and it looks like Ed This is like in this huge fight with the rest of the band. Like there was an article, an interview from like Rolling Stone last year where like they apparently have had this like huge falling out and they were like the heroes of this town in Pennsylvania and like they won't talk and like they tour separately and like it was really interesting and like it sounded like really bad. Question for you about that album. Yes. As I remember it, it's <laughs> drums, bass, one electric guitar with a shit ton of chorus on it and a vocal. Is there any other production going on? Because that's all I remember. Yeah, I mean, not really. It's weird. Like the songs I thought I was really going to like, like all the hits, I was like, what not- are the hits? Lightning Crashes. Lightning Crashes. Scarred. What's that? Scarred, um, and you'll never be scarred like that. Well, that was the first track when he had long hair. And My then, favorite one was um, uh, I oh. Alone. I Alone Love You. That's right. There was that one. There was another one, I feel like. Um, it was very religious. Yeah. Like it felt very like of like um, like a mixture of Satanism and Christianity it was coming from. The first record that... Um, uh, Recorded by Jerry Harrelson. Really? Yeah. And uh, he kind of found that band. But yeah, they were, they had that, that same thing. Like that was a cool moment. Like, you think about that band, it's like, that wasn't like necessarily like a trend. Like, a lot of stuff could exist during that time. Like, at that time, it was like Live was huge, Green Day was huge, Salt and Pepper were huge. Yeah. Like, Aaliyah was probably huge, Mary J was probably huge, Biggie was huge. I think it was a little later than that with Biggie. Coming was it? Out. Yeah, because. Throwing Copper was 93, 94. So like remember Jackal that, was huge? <laughs> Jackal was so big. I mean, Chainsaw Rock was... Violent Femmes were huge? Or uh, Yeah, Violent Femmes were huge because that was the record that came out with American Music. No, that was two years later. Cause I saw Violent Femmes. Oddly enough, Aerosmith was huge? Yeah, because they came back with You Looks Like a Lady, which is based on Vince Neil. It is? Yeah. Wasn't... Yep. It was that, such a, that but was like, like, I remember... Wasn't that like Get a Grip era? Like mid-90s? No, 90... Yeah, yeah, that was amazing, crying. Yeah. That was the whole like uh, Liv Tyler, Alicia Silverstone era. Mm-hmm. Eat the Rich. That's a great song. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that was a great song. Eat the Rich. It's a Motorhead tune. There's a... Aerosmith? Song? Yes, there was, it was the first song on Get a Grip, I'm pretty sure. Oh. Love in an Elevator. Love in an Elevator. The, the harmonies, man. The harmonies. <laughs> Yeah, they they had some some good ones. Where they went on tour when I was in high school with Dokken. Really? The, I, my first concert ever was Collective Soul and Aerosmith. Nice work. Yeah, so Collective Soul was the first live band I'd ever seen. I, they were one of my first, too. I got dropped on my head, crowd surfing to shine. You did? Yep. And I had this huge bump on my head. That is a deep groove. That yeah. must have been a really like, <laughs> really intense moment. Because that's not like... So the crowd couldn't have been freaking out. They were probably like slowly was, surfing you. It was a radio festival in Cleveland that was supposed to be headlined by Green Day. And... So many people showed up that they wouldn't let Green Day play. It was like five, it was like. Where's the logic in that? that I don't makes know. Sense. But I remember like people were talking about rioting, and I was like 15. And, and were I, you like, yeah. yeah? I was like, this is awesome. Count me in, yeah. guys. Count me in. All right, pick me up. Yeah. Who's yeah. heading up the riot? I'd love to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> I have some ideas. I had yeah. So I make this riot most effective. Yeah. I had a huge lump on my head. I was ready to riot. And, Who else played? Uh, Moist. Do you remember yeah. that? They're a Canadian band. 
it was moist. Every woman in the crowd uh, hated that band. You know who else played? <laughs> because is, of the name. <laughs> uh, uh, who was that gay punk band from San Francisco? Riverdale Fancy. No. Riverdale's? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Riverdale's. Uh, <laughs> Pansy Division. Oh, Pansy Division. Pansy Division. I saw them play. open for Green Day. They're, yeah. they're probably yeah, on that probably tour. Probably that same tour because I remember they from Pansy Division. Be like, are you guys excited for Moist? Like making all these Moist jokes <laughs> and being like, this is so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we must have been. So like, did someone come out and be like, "There's too much support in the audience. Green Day will not be performing tonight." I can't tonight. remember how they explained it, but it was like when Green Day was like, like really getting big. It was like around because I saw them that era when Sam I am opened for them and like and they played at like Blossom Music Center. But this was like right before that. And yeah, they just didn't play, and that's why. Like they were there. And they wouldn't let them because they were like, it's gonna be too crazy. That sounds like a venue call. It sounds like yeah, it sounds like a clean. Sounds like a thing. fire marshal going, here's what's gonna happen. Nothing. Fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. I mean it was a free show. So, so it was like a hundred thousand people there. <laughs> no, I mean it was Cleveland. There were probably like three thousand people there. But it was Were like, you super bummed? Yeah, I was pretty bummed, but like I felt, But you also had the best night of your life. Yeah, I mean I yeah, I don't know what I was thinking at that at that point I felt like life was such a weird haze. Be- because you like, would hit your head or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> I think I was a little disoriented. I probably drank NyQuil at some point. Who knows? Yeah. You know, robo tripping before yeah, it was called who knows? that. It's a cheap way to make everything be in slow motion. What's funny is that I just imagine you like this being there, but you were probably in like the most amazing clothes. I was probably wearing like Probably boots similar to those. Probably camouflage pants. Jinkos? I think that this might that? have been pre-Jinkos. I think this would be more like camo, like probably like a Sex Pistols shirt. I probably had like a ponytail with like the side shaved. I remember nice going to the mall and trying to explain to my mother that I wanted bigger jeans. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't grasp the concept and my sister was in the car and Rachel was like, like, like yelling at my mom trying to explain the kind of jeans I wanted. And it was a very embarrassing moment. <laughs> But then I got big jeans. It was great. It's cool that was that was like a time in like fashion where like shit was really comfortable. Yeah, yeah. You know the way I dress when I like do my laundry is basically how I dressed in the early nineties. Do you ever give your sister tips about fashion? Be like, you should make stuff that's really comfortable, like it was in the nineties. Sometimes she's yeah. making a lot of sweatshirts lately. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. But like I've I've been way into like oversized tops lately. <laughs> See, the, the best shape of my life was in the early 90s and and you weren't was, showing it off probably everything was baggy <laughs> and i remember uh showing off like showing some picture of like me at the beach uh with my friends and i had awful mullet hair like bad bad mullet and um, but also like a dope six-pack <laughs> ridiculous six-pack <laughs> amazing and i was eating garbage and now i dream of those days i was like so offended i was like probably like 140 pounds or something stupid and I was like, God, and now, now I would, you know, be the sexiest hipster alive, probably, because the mullet would be in. Yeah, would it be would in. definitely be in. <laughs> I know it's the worst when you find like an old T-shirt in your basement, and you're like, oh, I love this band, and then like the T-shirt's like quadruple XL. Uh, but I'm in. But try, that's good yeah. for you now. Like yeah. I got like I found like all my old like radio shirts, like the radio festivals I would go to, which was awesome. Yeah, because it's like. Like Z100 Jingle Ball with like whole told the wet sprocket <laughs> Green Day and collective hole. Nice. <laughs> That's kind of bananas. How was that show? It was amazing. Yeah. Billy Joe got naked. Really? Fully. And this was obviously so pre YouTube that like shit would happen. Even like an arena with like 30,000 people and you'd go to school the next day and everyone just had to believe you. <laughs> there was no hard evidence. I was like, he took all his clothes off and people were like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I swear to God. 
mm-hmm. and it just meant nothing. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah, I kind of miss that. I miss that a lot. Yeah, it's hard. That's probably a long view to see it, though. Yeah, I was a real basket case. <laughs> we do this all day. We should. And in fact, I think we ought to. <laughs> There's a long view to see. <laughs> yeah, that's a good warning. Um, okay, I think... I think we're not going to go out on something better than that. I don't know. I don't know. That was, I, that's kind of a weak pun, but I'll take it for coming from you. Yeah, that wasn't. Hold on. You think that was a weak pun? Yeah, that was a weak pun. It's got to be better dick jokes for. What are we talking about? When it came, Billy, Billy Joe getting naked. When it hit the floor, did it go kerplunk? Oh! <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming. I mean, I don't want to think. I don't want to. That's really good. No, that I don't want to undercut I got, it. I have nothing, man. I'm gonna, <laughs> but I'm going to do that pun contest, I think. Yeah. You should take me out on tour, and I can do like a pun thing before you open. Really yeah. get the crowd amped up. Just be like, "Someone say something. Give me a word. <laughs> I don't want to like, give me a phrase." Like, <laughs> I don't want to say this earlier, but I think if the the next time Fun goes on tour, you have to take, and I'm going to say have to, United Nations, because then the shirts will just be F U N. Hello. And the crowd will not know what hit them. What's the feel of United Nations? I haven't heard no it's, one's played me in United Nations. It's uh it's it's Screamo, uh Grindcore. Grindcore, which core? Which core. Yeah, it's it's uh pretty heavy. A lot nope. of core. There's a lot of core going on. Is there anything posted about it? Skating, sir, if you should come. When? Uh next month, May eighteenth. Who's playing? The day we're playing it's like Alkaline Trio, Newfound Glory. What's Alkaline Trio like now? The same. I think yeah. the same kind of same, same kind of I saw him at, at Voodoo, and it was a great set. And really? I love and I love those guys, and, and feel comfortable saying this to them. They're a fifty-fifty live band. It's going to kill, or it's going to be kind of off. And really, it was a good set. I was really impressed. I enjoyed it a lot. Interesting. Um, are you playing? Is that day that uh, um, Seosin's playing? No, Seosin's playing the day before, but Circuit Survives playing the same day we are. Okay, cool. So they're always fun. Yeah. Where is it? Is it Asbury Park? Asbury. It's back in Asbury this year. Convention Center. I think so. Because you want it to sound great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I thought that was a pun. I was searching for it. <laughs> no, no, I was being sarcastic. I was like, is that like an old circus song I don't know about? Like, <laughs> it's a very obscure Green Day B-side. Yeah, you don't remember the first album? Great. Because <laughs> if you want your band to sound awesome, go play in a giant room made for circuses and not music. It's a tough one. It's actually where Springsteen rehearses his tours. Really? And the story is... That the people who live around there, you can just go. Really? Yeah, and watch Springsteen play. I just met Springsteen like a week ago. It was the coolest thing ever. Where were you? We we opened for him at the NCAA thing, and he was side stage during our show. And we walked off stage. And he was like, "Hey," and I was like, "Hey," <laughs> and then like we we were just like he was like, "Great show, thanks." And I was like, "Are you on tour?" And he was like, "Yeah, right in the middle of a tour." And I was like, "Cool." Did you see him while you were playing? Like, yeah. And you were like, Bruce Springsteen's watching my band play. Yeah. What was, it was, it, what was that like? It was really cool. He's next to my dad. So I was like, there's my dad. There's Springsteen. I was like, they're the same height. Springsteen shorter than I thought. <laughs> and you were like, Jersey represent. Yeah. But I didn't want to, I didn't say anything about that because I feel like that's like, he gets that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you're Springsteen. Like everyone's like, I'm from Jersey. <laughs> and he's like, shut the fuck up. Like, like <laughs> You know? Yeah. <laughs> In Springsteen's eyes, everybody's from Jersey. Therein lies... Well, he wouldn't care. <laughs> great guy, though. Seems like a great guy. Was a great guy. Yeah, exactly like what you were saying earlier. Yeah. Fred Durst on the other side of the stage, rubbing one out, just looking at us, giving me the finger while jerking off. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's a bold move. Yeah. I mean, you got to give him props for doing it. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because if you can get erect while a band's playing and do that. In the rain. Yeah, in the rain. Yeah. Got a hard on in the rain. I don't even know how you would. Getting erect in public is pretty wild anyway. That's how porn stars do it. But you know from your documentary. Yeah. I do. (laughs) Research. Research, David. (laughs) So that was Jack Antonoff, Bleachers, Fun, Steel Train, all-around awesome guy. Uh, It's Steven. I'm recording this at my house. And Jonah, Brad, Mike have been kind enough to let me do this outro by myself. Uh, The reason it's solo is if you're listening carefully to the podcast, which was awesome, Jack Rules, he talks briefly about the loss of his sister to brain cancer. And what he said was of immeasurable help to me. A little over three weeks ago, my father died. This has been the first podcast that I've come back and done since he was diagnosed with cancer in late January. Uh, he had abdominal cancer, stage four melanoma, and he had had a couple of things removed in the past, but uh, he had a big old tumor and some other pockets of cancerous cells, and he fought a really good fight. There's some new treatments that have been approved in the past year, and the doctors did everything they could, but unfortunately, uh, his body had other plans. He was 67 years old and was about to celebrate a 45th wedding anniversary to my mother. You guys have heard me talk about my father on the podcast in the past. And, uh, you know, we had a very interesting relationship. It wasn't strained. It was just weird. Uh, He was drafted right after he got married. And so I didn't see much of him until I was around four. And those are some pretty important years when you're a kid. I know that because I'm with mine a lot right now. And, that's because of it. Uh, my father was a retired army colonel. Our views couldn't have been further apart. He was very right wing, a uh, member of the NRA. And I am the complete opposite of all of that. My father is a devout Catholic. I am a complete non-believer. And despite all of that, my Dad could not have been more supportive of me my entire life. He had a son who wanted to go into entertainment when he himself was a military man. And he supported everything I wanted to do. Dance, theater, television, directing, whatever it was, he supported it. And he was a huge supporter of this podcast. Uh, A lot of you know we had a Kickstarter when we first decided to do this endeavor. Uh, We wanted to put a a cool website together. None of us are really good web dudes. Brad is, but (laughs) Brad does a lot. Um, And the guys didn't even know this, but my dad was the final supporter of our Kickstarter. He was the last one to donate, and he helped out quite a bit. Uh, It's very weird now not having a dad. Um, It's very sad And I've spoken at length of the podcast about my therapist. Uh, We've been preparing for this. We just didn't think it would come so soon. Um, My daughters are only three. And 
that's the biggest sadness to me is that they no longer have a granddad. They don't quite understand. And it's been difficult to explain for me. My wife is Catholic and she gave the eulogy at my father's funeral. Cause I just, I couldn't do it. It was, it was just very hard for me. I, I just couldn't do it. So she did, and she would have done it anyway. She's the greatest. And uh, she had the whole room laughing and crying. And then other people showed up and gave eulogies. Friends of my father's from work, My uh, his cousin, who's my cousin, first, second cousin, I'm not sure how that works, once removed. But uh, I learned more about my father from that funeral than I had my entire life. He has made some amazing things used for the Army that have not been replicated and were actually adopted by other branches of the military. It's phenomenal to me. And I just sat there dumbfounded watching people talk about this man who I knew, but that part of his life I didn't know. And it's very common for the military. Uh, if you work in government or know people in the military or have them in your family, you know, it's not uncommon to not know what people do. Um, I, I owe, everything to my dad. He, he made me who I am at a young age when I saw him, you know, uh, we would, he took, took me to movies, a lot of Disney star Wars for the first time. We saw that 12 times together. He gave me his copies of the Lord of the Rings, his copies. You know, he got me, he made me a nerd with this military guy who was super geek. He was big into Sherlock Holmes. He would read me comic books instead of books when I went to sleep. Uh, he got me into Marx Brothers movies and W.C. Fields movies, and I was listening to old-time radio, you know, while I was in middle school because that's something my dad was into. So uh, if you think I'm a smart ass, it's his fault because... That stuff got ingrained in my head very young, and I'm still a, a huge, huge fan. Um, he got to do more of the dad stuff with my brother. Uh, my brother's learning disabled, and I, I've mentioned that on the podcast as well. And, you know, my brother was an Eagle Scout, and we're 10 years apart. So by the time my dad retired from the military, um, it just worked out that way. I was, you know, much older and they got to do more things together. And also he had special needs. So I was left a lot to my own devices and that's good and bad, you know, made me uh, very, very independent. Um, uh, kind of like my dad, very independent. He knew what he was doing. Uh, it's, it's bizarre this whole situation. And I know there's some listeners out there who've been through it. who might be going through something similar. Uh, it just, it's surreal to me. I, I can't imagine what it's like right now. I, I'm, my mother's so sad. My brother's a mess and it's a process that we're all going through. It, it's weird how final it is. And as someone who's a non-believer in anything and, and not any kind of antagonistic thing. I'm not like a lot of what I feel atheists can be, which is 
you know, very angry and just as evangelical and devout as a lot of other people. Um, it's been a struggle, but it's also been very comforting. Uh, I believe holy, and and that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, <laughs> not the other one. Uh, if that's even a word, did I make that up? I, I believe that you have the memories that you have with someone, if you meet someone, they're with you forever. And I've learned recently that that's a form of presence. And they're here with you for the rest of your life. Whoever they touch, they're with you. And it's comforting to know that that place is all around. Um, so I'm calling that heaven. And that's what I'm teaching his granddaughters. And they'll understand that's where he is uh, as they get older. So I, I want to thank him for his support. And I wanted to dedicate this episode to him. It was, uh, a very valued surprise to hear Jack tell his story and it meant a lot to me and it helped me a great deal and I really appreciate it. Uh, he had no idea and a lot of people don't. So thank you, dad. And thank you for listening.